swift and mighty in action. I took me a press, I took me some steel, I took my two hands and built an automobile. I built a dodge, I built a dodge. So what are you good at? Now that's something certainly we marketers spend a lot of time thinking about, but I don't mean your product or your brand, I mean you. What are you good at? As kids, we believe we can be and do anything. We can be an astronaut, a cowboy, a wizard. We believe in monsters and dragons and our ability to slay them if we just believe in it hard enough. And then slowly, over time, we are taught better that there are limitations. Now some of this is good, of course. Your hand actually does burn if it touches the stove. The man in the weird van with the sunset airbrushed on it, he's not to be trusted. Vegetables, they're good for you. School, it's important. Yes, even Mr. Jeffrey's geometry class. But some of it isn't. Weirdly, our conviction in our limitations start to outweigh the conviction we have in what we are good at. We are taught in many cases that we actually start with limitations and that's how we should simply live life. Just accept them. You're not pretty enough. You're not handsome enough. You didn't graduate college. You'll never be an executive. You're, you're not really that smart. You don't have enough money. You're the wrong color or sex or you love the wrong person. And of course, we know most of these things are wrong and we, even as a culture, acknowledge most of it. But they're still there, inside us. Whatever ours are, we all have them, keeping us from moving and, quite frankly, making mistakes that would help us understand better what we are actually good at. As the comedian Louis C.K. says, failure is a worthwhile endeavor because it helps you get closer to what you're good at. And this is true in our business as well. We often start the big ask from the C-suite, our marketing strategies, with all the limitations we have in place. We don't have the right technology or enough money or enough people or enough whatever. So here's the strategy that meets what we have today. Instead, what if we simply put on our child's hat just for a moment and believe? What if we develop the right strategy, acknowledging the limitations, of course, but developing what could be? We may find that those limitations, given the right strategy, may not suddenly be as big as we once thought. And that's the theme of our show today, knowing what we're good at, what our limitations are, and understanding that one of the things that we are good at is not letting our limitations stand in the way of what we want. And now it's time for me to realize that my time for this intro is up, and it's time for us to get our little weekly motivational poster of a show up on the road. You ready to hang in there, baby? Then let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 146 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, August 28th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and without question, the biggest dreamer in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? That's probably true. That probably yeah. is true. Oh, no, I know it's true. Every, every, 
every day and a half you have some new dreamed up, you know, way to make money and way to start a business. And you're like, you know, you're, you're like that guy who's always on with new ideas. Well, it's funny because I, when I was first setting up the business, this is back in 2007 and I'm meeting with my accountant talking about what I was going to do after the 20 minutes. Of course, he looks completely confused at me and says, so basically you're selling air. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's pretty much right. correct. That's yeah. exactly what we're, <laughs> that's exactly we're in the business of, of selling the intangible. Uh, that's right. But, uh, but it's been, <laughs> but it's been a fun ride. And, uh, and I think what you and I are preparing our last preparations for content marketing world. Uh, well, I'd like to think that I'm, you know, I'd like to think that I'm a little further along than I am, but I'm looking at well, in fact, I'm sitting here right now staring at my PowerPoint for the workshop, and it's not nearly where I need it to be. So it will be a long couple of nights for me as I as I polish this thing up and get it ready. Well, I have a, I have a, a flight to San Francisco, so I've got to be in, in Frisco for a couple of days, and I'm, I'm going to use that plane time to, oh, good for you. to imagine what the keynote should be. Obviously, I've got the research. I've I've got it. It's in my email box. I have looked at it, but I I haven't really come up with the theme yet. And and I think being 30,000 feet up is going to inspire me. Yeah, it'll it'll do it. It'll do it. Yeah, my my session is in good shape. My session is in really, really good shape. I've... I have a I have a fun session planned for my for my future content marketing. What's what's thing. your session called? Uh, it's content marketing is broken. Here's how to That's fix right. it. That's right. Yeah, it's basically rebooting. And what I'm doing is I have a whole thing with uh, comic book. I'm telling. I'm basically rebooting it like it's a new origin story of comic of of content marketing the superhero. Ooh, pretty fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I might have to stop in and see that. Well, that would be lovely. Well, I, I try to. Be, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I try to get around to all 12 sessions at the same time, but it's more <laughs> right. annoying to everyone else. I mean, just popping in and out. I just, so basically, <laughs> right. I usually pick one or two to sit around and, or I or I go into the, the break room and hide for a while in yeah, my orange suit. Right. And then I come back out is. refreshed and ready to go. <laughs> Anyways, do we anyway, have we have news? We do have news. There was a this was a I guess we're getting to back to school time and 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 all of that. So there was a lot of news, um, and so we prioritized what we thought were some of the better and higher ranked stories this week. Uh, the first one, the first story of the show, comes to us courtesy of Ars Technica. Dot com, but of course, a bunch of people covered this. Big hat tip, by the way, here to Simon Donant. I think I'm pronouncing Simon's name correctly, and Jeff Cram, who sent over this story via the hashtag. And the headline is Google will punish sites that use intrusive popover ads. The article starts out by saying pop up ads or annoying on the desktop, but they're even more frustrating on mobile devices when they sometimes take over the browser. I will personally attest to that. Google wants to fix that. In a blog post, the company announced that starting next year, websites with intrusive advertisements will be punished and may be pushed down in search results. Essentially, Google wants search results to favor sites that have the best information and the least annoying advertisements that cover up that information. I I, I totally want to get your take on this, Joe, but I want to clarify. I think they're talking about advertisements here, but really what we're talking about are just 
pop-ups. I mean, they yeah. don't know that it's an ad. It's just, you know, so anything that's a pop-up could be a subscribe now. It could, doesn't have to necessarily be an ad. What they're talking about are mobile sites with pop-ups. Is that what you took from this? Yeah, this is this is more than advertising. So there, yeah. there, much of the talk was about, oh, yeah, of course we don't want those full advertising takeovers. But that's not what we're really talking about here. If you look at, let's say that this is a thing, and it looks like it is going to be a thing, the date that I have that they say here is what, January 10th, 2017, right. they'll start exactly. to sort of punish those that have popovers. You got to remember, this is not just advertising popover, it's a subscription popover. We use popovers. A lot of, of course, I mean, a right. lot of media companies use popovers. So let's just look at it as from the media company standpoint before we look at it as from the brand standpoint. One, you're taking away it could be a significant portion of revenue because if this is going to hurt search engine rankings, I would assume that media companies may not want to do this as much. So there's that. Right. The second thing right. is a media company, You, the asset is in the subscriber. It's not in the content. How do we get That's subscribers? Right. Sometimes we have to put something in front of them and say, hey, here's some value. Would you sign up? Give us your email address and you exchange that back and forth for for that relationship and see what happens. But I guess the last, I want to get your take on it. So this is my, my thing is, look, this is not good at all for media company. It's probably really good for users because most users don't want to see popovers. But the thing that I kept thinking about it as, as I was reading this article, Robert is this is, this is great for Google because Google wants that ad revenue in the popover form so that you can use it in, other googly advertising things that are not popovers. <laughs> so don't think right. that this is all right. for the user and we're doing it. Hey, this is this is great for Google because if they punish these types of advertisements, if we're just looking at those ad popovers, this is going this could possibly help shift that money into more search engine marketing ads. Sure. Well, Google I mean, ads. you know, look, yeah, yeah Adam, Adam, we don't need to go all tinfoil hat here or anything. Sure we but basically, do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the interesting thing to me is you've got Google here going, you know, I mean, those that might be more conspiratorially uh, minded might see this as Google starting to eliminate all the different kinds of ad units or popover units or things within mobile that are not Googly related, right? Well, you know what um, I thought of when I read this? It was what you said about Facebook and them coming out against ad blockers, where right. you were like, oh, well, this is just, I mean, it's the same type of thing, right? It's just. <laughs> Yes. Right? Well, yeah. I, yes, I guess so. I mean, this is them sort of saying there is a, you know, there is a world that exists outside of Google and our business, but we are going to make that world as small as we possibly can. <laughs> Exactly. And so if they do that and sort of start to basically threaten you with, you know, search engine deprecation based on your unwillingness to play in the smaller sandbox that they've provided you, well, that's your tough luck. I mean, so, you know, I mean, look, from a user standpoint, I think this is a, you know, it's obviously a good, it, they annoy the heck out of me, right? The, but there are, there are ways to do this that's not so terribly annoying. The, the, the one, the, truly, the, the, uh, what I hope they start cracking down on is the slowness of some sites where you're just about to press that button on the menu bar in your iPhone as the site loads, and then it all of a sudden, boop, and it moves three inches because oh, the yeah. you know some banner ad has just come in, and now all of a sudden you know you're clicking on the ad instead of the button you wanted to. So there are ways around design 
that quite frankly, popovers don't bother me so much. It's like, oh, I get it. You know, just click the little X. And the ones I also hate are the ones that are sort of passive aggressive now. The ones that, you know, basically, you know, there is no little X. The popover comes up and it basically says, hi, would you like extreme value in your life? Or basically, no, I, I'm an idiot. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that. Right. This, right? No, I'm a yeah. horrible person. I don't want that yeah. at all. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I think, you know, so I think, you know, TBD here about what this is really going to mean. I think we're not really going to see how much this affects search rankings until, you know, until well into spring of next year when we can start to see the the real data that says, okay, wow, this is a company that, you know, basically had equal footing in search engine results. And now three months later, one of them took away popovers and one of them left them in. And this one is X and this one is Y. So I think this one is a big TBD, but it's one to be aware of. If we're marketers and you're setting up a blog and you're going to be thinking about doing a popover for creating subscribers or a landing page or those kinds of things, this is something that's going to, you know, this is something that you need to be paying attention to. Yeah. I mean, when Simon sent this over to me and I was, I was looking at it, it seems like all the news sites went to the, the advertising popover site. And, and I've, First thing I went to is, oh my gosh, this is going to really hurt our subscription rates. That's the right. first thing I thought of. Because as, yeah. I don't know, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, but 65% of our subscribers at Content Marketing Institute come from our popover. That's right. And we talk about, I talk about it in every presentation. I'm like, I, I'm not a huge fan of a popover, but if we look at that and we say, okay, well, we're connecting with more people through that popover, so that's great. But if we also follow that through the journey, and what happens to those people? We find out that those become some of our most most valuable customers. So I, I thought, like, I can't hate it. I actually have to love it because we get yeah. in contact with people that we might not be able to to communicate with long term. So if that doesn't exist, you know, what are the other? I'm sure there'll be something else, but it, it limits the the options from subscription. Yeah, and you wonder if one of those things is is that you you know do you get deprecated down, and then if you take it out, you move back up. Or is it one of those things where, you know, once you're once you're down, you're down and you have to earn your way up. So there's a little bit of fear here as well. Right. Do you take the risk and leave your pop over there for your subscription and hope that they don't see it as an ad and they don't see it as a, you know, the algorithm sees it, you know, as what it's meant for and can actually discern that? Or do you not take the risk and say, you know what, I'm just going to be play it completely safe because search, you know, search our organic search rankings are everything to us. It's a tough it's a tough decision. It is interesting, though, too, and we're not going to get into it here, but to to see this battle happening between Google, Facebook, Amazon, and more about we want, you know, we want to be the Internet. We want to be. Well, there's a whole thing. We're not going to cover it on this episode, but there was a there's a wonderful article. Maybe we'll put it in. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. There's a wonderful article um, that talked about Tim Berners-Lee and how he's got a whole new initiative to talk about the open internet and how he's trying to, trying to, you know, really get a lot of people behind him to, to, you know, cause he's truly concerned about it. As, as we are, I am. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Oh, every course. little tweak. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard to put this in historical terms because we like take a look at Google and Facebook. We've never seen companies grow this fast. I mean, I saw. I don't know if you saw this infographic. It was flying around, of course, Facebook. Uh, it talked. It was. It, it ca- calculated every five years the top the the five largest companies in the world by market cap. And right. do you know what they are this year? They're, what is it? They're Apple. I, I'm gonna get. I think I'm gonna get one wrong, but it's Apple, Google, Amazon, 
something, something and I forgot the parameters of it. It's not sure. I know Exxon is still up there, but the, they were in like 20 years ago. It was GE, it was yeah. Walmart, it was Exxon, and those those have completely changed. And yeah. I mean, well, they're talking about Apple now being the first trillion dollar brand. It's pretty I mean, close. It's getting there. It's, you know. Yeah, it's 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 very close. Well, as soon as they could. buy Disney, that that will be over ah, there a trillion. We go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see, yeah. you know. We'll see. You just keep you my friend, you just keep going on record with that and it just, you know, you just it's just gonna it's gonna make things so much tastier when it never happens. Would it would it ever or never? Yeah, I'm gonna it's, you know, yeah. whatever. It's all good. Either way, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next right. story, shall we? This one comes courtesy uh of TechCrunch. Um this seems like three shows in a row that we've had a marketing article coming from uh TechCrunch. Yeah. This one uh, is headlined and was also sent over to us uh, by a few people via the hashtag here. The headline, ads are bad and also terrible. Pretty good headline, I have to say. Yeah, I like that. uh, opening of the article goes and says, every so often I find myself forced to use the web on a browser without uBlock or an equivalent, and every time I think to myself, how do people live like this? The unad-blocked web is a miserable cesspool of auto-playing video and hysterical calls to action, slow to load, hard to lo- look at, and even worse on your phone where ads devour your battery life and up to 75% of your data. I'm getting the feeling this guy doesn't like ads that much. He he then goes on to explain why basically ads are really bad these days and and and, and really the application of them is even worse. Um, well, what did you think of this article? I didn't actually have too many problems with it. I think most ads are bad and ad, and I think most people actually don't like advertising. Uh, I mean, he goes if you go on and say, "Well, see, I, I'll 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 well, disagree you, with that." You, thing, I know yeah, you do, but, but I, I guess yeah. want to. I mean, when he's making the point that. Do like for example that when I when I read this I thought about the Olympics when I was watching the Olympics I loved watching the Olympics I I couldn't stand it was it was especially the fact that I kept seeing the same ones over and over and over and over again it was I'm like oh my god I can't take it anymore there's got to be a better way in 2016 yeah that's and that's kind of what the author was talking about now i know you have a different take on advertising but. well i don't i have a yeah i have a slightly different take because i don't disagree terribly with his point uh which is and we've actually talked about it on this show before how we've we you know some the 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 cheapening of advertising be based on digital and the lack yes. you know a a, a a a tremendous lack of creativity which has you know filled the skyscraper ad or the banner ad or you know, basically digital ad units, which have become nothing more than really just a logo with a click here. And, I, you know, I guess I do disagree slightly because he says in the article, he says, I can't stress enough that people hate ads. It's just a matter of degree. They hate commercial breaks. We hate display ads. We hate billboards. We live with them because we have no alternative. And my response to that is we don't if we hated them, they wouldn't exist. The public doesn't hate ads. We are em- we, we have become them. immune to them. We don't even tolerate them. They're just not even part. They're so part of the collective consciousness now that we don't even think about them. That's the that's you know hate is an active verb and 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 what he's thinking and saying is there are a small number of people who truly feels like feel like he does where he's 
actively taken the you know action of installing an ad blocker because he hates advertising that much. I you know have said here before I like ads. I like looking at them. I like studying them, but I'm an inside baseball person and I have a reason for for doing that, a business reason for doing that and also because I happen to find them in, an interesting, you know, exploration into sort of culture. But the interesting thing to me is is that most people don't feel that way. Most people don't actually install um, now, if you ask them, do you like advertising, they'll say, well, no, I don't really like it. But they don't even think about it. Most, you know, think about the last time you changed your Facebook preferences because of things that you've liked in the past or the active, you know, ability for you to fast forward through commercials. Or if it's if it's, if you don't think about it, you don't do it. And most people don't do it. And so I think his point here is a really good one, which is, if, if, you know, there's an old, uh, an ad guy, and I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, from the 1950s, who was famously, his famous quote is basically, we create, people don't pay attention to ads, they pay attention to things that interest them. And we hope, as an advertising person, that it's an ad. And that's the real thing here, is, is his point, which is something I do agree with, which is, if we're going to create things that are going to get attention, that are going to have people do things, we have to create things that people will pay attention to. We have become so, uh, you know, calloused and quite frankly, uh, you know, just completely immune to the advertisement and ad unit that it has to be something different. This is why native is growing so much as it is. This is why different kinds of monetization of, of marketing spots within publishing and within content marketing with all the things that we're doing is why it's gaining some, you know, evolution in our culture is because it's a different way of getting somebody's attention. And that's all we're trying to do as marketers. And so I think, you know, his point is a good one, which is that we have to get better at this. We have to get better as marketers than advertising. But it's not about simply just eliminating the, you know, the the real estate. And quite frankly, it's about getting better at delivering things that are worth paying attention to. The quality is what's really important here. Well, I, what I thought was interesting is you know, made the case about, oh, this is really bad. But there's exceptions, and then the the movie trailer exception, which I I think is brilliant. I want I mean pick that apart for a second because that you and I have talked about this quite a bit on this show, where he says well he and he says movie trailers are ads, but we don't hate them. Quite the contrary. Now think about that. A movie trailer is uh, it's a it's an advertisement for a piece of content, right? Right. That's right. Well. What have we been talking about even in all this stuff when we've got these articles about content promotion, content amplification? We talk about absolutely you should look at integrating advertising into that because you want to be spending four, maybe five times the amount on promotion of that. Well, let's create look at the advertising to promote a truly valuable piece of content and do that in a compelling way. That's where, especially on the B2B side, I think if you're not there, you've got issues. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, because if you go back and actually, I mean, and, and it's a good point, right? It's not, and by the way, you can apply that to not only, you know, uh, you know, not only movie trailers, but you can promote it, you know, Games. look at any sort of way that content providers advertise their content, which is going to be in some form of, 
you know, look at video games, for example. You know, the people who buy and love video games love the trailers for video games and love the when they release, you know, 15 minutes of walkthrough footage and all that kind of stuff. And there's a new TV show and you're going to see this new, you'll see, you know, five minutes of it of the pre-release. All that stuff is great because quite, quite frankly, what the media companies learned was giving a little bit away of the content was the way to make people interested in the product. Yeah. And demonstrating that it's going to have value. If you actually go back and there's a, there's an interesting article here. If somebody wanted to write it, you actually go back and look at the movie trailers from the forties and fifties. They look much more like advertisements do today, right? So if you go back and look at the movie trailers from the forties and fifties, and even into the sixties, you'll see that, you know, it's basically, you'll see some pictures of the movie, but there's a guy going, what you're going to see is a wonderful picture. That's going to tell the story of a young lady and a young girl. And, you know, and all of that kind of thing, right? It's going to be, I just put on my mid-Atlantic accent for you there. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen around the world, you're going to find a great story here. And, and you know, it's going to be a wonderful thing. It's much, but it looks much more like an ad than your the hand one while the movie trailers do today. Too. I know, I can just picture I do, darling. It's fantastic. I can't tell you how much I love being here. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, there is a really interesting thing there, but it's, it, we can learn from it as brand product marketers of other products. It is developing interesting things that people want to watch is the best form of advertising there is. It's so funny, though. He says, the online advertising ecosystem is, I hope, heading for a ruinous collapse. <laughs> yeah. That's so right. funny. Yeah. Well, but yeah. the author talks about micropayments. And we've, you know, I just don't know if that's going to be a th- I know that people will definitely pay for content that is compelling, that is hard to get in other places, that is useful entertaining absolutely we've seen that happen you can you know netflix and everything else going on and even with our training program you know you could see those types of things but micro micro payments for news is never going to happen in my opinion no um, it is not going to happen we don't we that that ship has that sailed. ship has sailed but yeah. i'm i'm just i don't do you think that it's going to be a thing i don't think that micro payments is going to replace advertising for us for a significant source of revenue for most media companies at least not for a long, long time. Well, no, and you know this. You've 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 spoken about this before. This whole, you know, what is it the, what is it the physical dollars for digital dimes, yeah. or you know that famous saying and that sort of thing, you know. And so, you know, I mean, look, that you know, it shouldn't be lost on anybody that the author of the article is himself a software engineer and a technical person. So it's you know, it's it's. Looking for a solution that is not marketing and advertising based or doesn't isn't steeped in that world is is not terribly surprising, um, but it's yeah it's not going to be micropayments. It's, well, I think just, that to, to wrap this up, I think what you said is probably pretty true when you say the pain is not as bad as what the author is making it out to be. It's because not. It may be for him. Become, it may be for him, but it's not for the majority yeah. of the. If it were for the majority of the world, quite frankly, it would have already changed. Yeah. Well, I you know. I don't know of any of my friends outside of the marketing realm that have ad blockers that no, have act- exactly. actively like looked at their privacy settings on Facebook and done anything. That's about right. It. Yeah, that's right. 
That's exactly right. All right, moving on to our next story here, which is uh, courtesy of VentureBeat.com, and this is a new announcement from YouTube, and the headline is, YouTube plans to bring photos, polls, and text to the video service. Big hat tip here to Adam Frazier, um, friend and family of the show, of course. Hi, Adam. And who has sent this over via the hashtag on Twitter. The article opens up by saying, YouTube, the world's largest video sharing service, is looking beyond video to keep its homegrown stars and their fans from departing to competing platforms. Amid competition from Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter, YouTube is developing a feature internally called Backstage, where users can share photos, polls, links, text, posts, and videos with their subscribers. Backstage is expected to launch by the end of the year, possibly this fall, on mobile and desktop, initially with select popular YouTube accounts and with limited features. VentureBeat has learned about all of this. And so what say you? This is, is this YouTube trying to look a little more like Facebook and Twitter and all of that? I'm, I'm actually having trouble getting around whether this is big news or no news. Is this a, so is this is an enhanced uh, comment section? For just subscribers? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Here's the way I took it. The way I took it was if you have a channel on YouTube, then the way – and assumably, you know, in the beginning, you're going to have to have some popular channel on YouTube. And then theoretically, it would be available to everybody who had a channel. You'll have kind of a behind-the-scenes area. And yes, it would be, I'm guessing, some sort of, uh, you know – reconfiguration or reimagining of the YouTube comments, which everybody knows are completely useless at the moment, right? And nobody uses YouTube comments anywhere. And so I have to imagine that they, you know, that, that YouTube sees that all that screen real estate saying basically nobody uses the YouTube comments. Most people shut it off, quite frankly. And Really, it's about how you can create something that's, you know, for fans to be able to share stuff, you know, and basically give, you know, more quote unquote website like features to these YouTube stars who can do stuff like, you know, use it as their main communication platform. Basically, as an alternative to Twitter or Facebook, you can create your community on YouTube and then, you know, all your YouTube fans can come in and share photos and backstage passes, you know, photos and set lists and all the stuff that you would normally see back there and, and, and have some place to do that. So, yeah, I think it is a reimagining of the, of the comments section. If that's I mean, the way to look at it, it sounds like it brings more value to the subscription relationship. And if it's doing that, then I love it. I think it's a great move. It makes perfect sense. Where I just got lost in the article a little bit was the fact that, oh, then they could share, they could still share the backstage comments or the co- content on things like Facebook and Twitter. And then I got lost because I'm like, well, if that's just for subscribers, then if you share it and they're not a subscriber, are they going to be able to see it? And does that even matter? So I don't even yeah. care. Well, I'm going to guess. Yeah, if I had to guess, I would say it's probably it's you're not going to see it. It's going to be one of those things where you can probably, you know, you know, share it out to other platforms as well. Like if you're the artist and you want to share out a link to your video, you yep. share it to your backstage page, but you also can share it to your Twitter account and, you know, you can integrate those social things. And then if you're a fan of the channel then you'll have access to all these you know all this it, content and interaction but just think about it if you're a youtuber and you, of course all your calls to action throughout your video are oh sign up here's the little information token click on this so you can subscribe uh, so that you it can get 
my videos in your feed. Well, not a lot of value there. If you think about it, if I, if I want to go get it, I can always get it. Now you're saying, hey, if you want this exclusive content, you're going to have to subscribe. It's free, but you got to subscribe to it. So from that standpoint, right. or, I think there's or, a lot well, more value. Or it provides opportunities for these artists to say, hey, listen, you know, in the middle of their video, they say, if you subscribe, you'll have access to backstage where I'm sharing extra photos yep. and extra stuff and a poll and, you know, a contest to win tickets and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So to me, it provides a, a platform for, you know, it basically you know says, look, we're creating, you know, a, a center for these YouTube stars that are that are creating complete and, you know, full channels here that you know we can provide the you know from a brand perspective this actually gives me some encouragement about why you would want to create a brand level youtube channel because if you can start conducting polls back there and and have some interaction with your you know with your fans that aren't quite frankly little trolls you know in yep. in the youtube comments well now there's some value to having a youtube channel other than just having it be you know a way that we distribute streaming video you know you can actually have some interaction with people there and start to get some information that helps you pull them into owned media and all that kind of stuff so i i like it as a new addition we'll see but with all things google We'll see if they can actually execute something interesting or if this is, quite frankly, going to be another wave, you know. And thinking about all this, and I know I'm going back, but this is what makes Snapchat so incredible that they've actually broken through and become part of the conversation. When you think about you you just have Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube, and then you've, you, you've got a couple more, and that's it. I mean, you basically, these are the players. It's very hard, going to be very hard for anyone else to break through. And become a oh, platform yeah. of this kind. That's you think, of course. You know when am I right? But anyways, well, you th- you know I think it. Wh- it was funny because wh- you know one of the things that we talked about just you know the, in this show is is the is the idea of how fast these companies are growing, you know, and so you look at things like Pokemon Go or you know new new things that come along. They the rise and you know the rise is faster and the fall is faster, right? They yeah. become fashionable media that basically can erupt and become viral, quote unquote, and then disappear just as quickly. And so it was interesting. I was having this conversation with somebody online where they you know they pointed to an article that talked about you know the 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 end of these giant brands and and the you know and then we were having some fun discussion back and forth about you know is it the end of big brands or is it just the end of long standing brands and i i happen to think that you know as apple becomes a trillion dollar brand and as we look at facebook and snapchat and and pokemon go and all these things that can erupt and make huge amounts of money they start to look brands themselves start to look a lot more like tentpole movie projects used to look like right so you launch a tentpole movie project and, you know, it's got a five year window, you know, and you put all of the, you know, the, everything into the marketing and it launches in its first year and it has huge box office. And then it's got another spike when it goes to cable and it's got another spike when it goes to the airplane market and then the international market and then the TV market. And then it fades out into sort of, you know, whatever it's going to fade into in terms of rentals. I think you're going to see companies begin to start to look very similar when you see those, you know, Pokemon Go, go at 
its core is really just a big blockbuster movie. You know, it's the big blockbuster movie this year. What's next year? Who knows? Yep. And so you you start to see the end of the 100-year brands or even the 50-year brands, and you start seeing the advent of the 1- and 5- and 10-year brands that just sort of launch much more like entertainment properties. I, I'm totally, you're completely right. But when you look at, I guess. Oh, I know. It, oh, I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> I should, we should just end the show right there. Yeah, but if so you look at, the mic. but if you look at, we're, we're seeing more consolidation. We'll talk about some of that later, probably. But we're seeing more consolidation and most of the web is now going to uh, more sites owned by fewer people. Yes, and that's, I think that's going true. To, that is going to continue, even though we're having more and more of these niche brands, but they're being gobbled up and and by more of these companies. And if you look at Facebook, Instagram, and everything else that they own, um, it's just interesting to see this and how we think that it's. I mean, that's why you talk about Berners Lee doing something because this. I don't know if this is a problem or not, but this is it. This is what exactly what we're seeing. There are there are fewer and fewer big. Big, big players in this and a lot of small players. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you're right. Of course you're right. Of, co- of course I'm right. Well, speaking of being right, we have a new sponsor to talk about this episode. A brand new, I mean, a, a, it's a returning sponsor, I believe, but a, but a, a new sponsor that as we're out of the content marketing world promotion uh, uh, grind that we were in. Well, and they were gone a new, for a while and they've come yeah. to their senses and they've I, come back thank God. to the show. Thank yeah. Goodness, and thanks to our yeah. good friends at Odd Twenty Four for coming back to us. We've missed you, uh, Robert. You knew this, but uh, webinars have become the single most important marketing tool, one of the very most important marketing tools to generate leads and drive new business. I've heard this. I've heard this. But are you happy with the performance of your webinars? Not you, Robert. I know you're happy with your webinars, but are you, the listener, happy? With your webinars, a few best practices can make the difference between a huge success and a waste of time and resources. On 24's 2016 webinar benchmarks report highlights data from over 12,000 webinars. I like this because you and I cover research sometimes that's like 12 people. This is 12,000 <laughs> exactly. webinars. We got a lot of <laughs> webinars we're looking at, so we're pretty sure this is good stuff. And this will help you understand the latest trends in webinar marketing. Uh, you'll learn things like webinar registration and attendance ben- benchmarks, what time of the day you should deliver your webinars, most popular interactive tools, uh, webinar for on-demand viewing habits, all the stuff that you need to know. If you're doing webinars, you got to download this report. You can get it at cmi.media slash pnr146, cmi.media slash pnr146 to get the 2016 webinar benchmarks report. Make sure you download it today. Really good. I've seen it. Uh, there's a there's actually a webinar about the webinar report as well in the package. It's really good stuff. So when you get a chance, if you're at least doing any kind of webinar stuff, make sure you download it today. Thanks to uh, our friends at On24 for coming back. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you to On24 for coming back. That's always great. And uh, yes, absolutely. I, I can't wait to see this piece. I, I really, really want to see it. Um, okay, well, thank you for that. So let's move on to your favorite part of the show, which is our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that, oh, quite frankly, that makes us feel like, oh, I don't know, like we're basically really getting good and, and, and figuring that we're putting our, you know, like a kid, like a little kid again and making us believe or making us feel like that jaded adult that just understands that life sucks. <laughs> and so 
basically. Let's look at. Let's see. I guess. Do I go for? I go. You have no, this you old marketing. Yo, you, you have this first. old marketing. I do. You go first. I do. I go yes. first. It's 147 episodes in, and I can't figure this. It's out. all right. Okay. We would we would miss it. I would miss it if you didn't ask. <laughs> you, <laughs> every right. every episode. I have two. I have two raves. I have two raves uh, this week. Um, and the first rave is going to come courtesy of Medium.com um, and a friend and family of the show, Mitch Joel. Um, if you don't know Mitch Joel's Six Pixels of Separation is 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 a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Um, of course, he's the president at uh, Miram, the wonderful agency there. And he wrote a post this week that I just think deserves a huge shout out in a rave called Marketing Automation Must Die. And of course, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and he goes off on a rant basically about how marketing automation and has just sort of degraded into this horrible thing of drip email campaigns that are just basically doing no one any good. And I could not just, I could not applaud this article more highly or, or agree with it more. And it's just something, if this is you, then stop doing this, please stop doing this. I and and it, it reminded me just as I read this article, I got an email from someone, and it, I'm part of this this company's drip campaign, and and quite literally the, the 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 tactic, and it's not the only time I've seen this. I've seen this quite a bit. They get into this sort of passive aggressive trying to get you to do something, right? So the first email is, "Hi, I got your email, and I think you'd be interested in this solution, and I want to set up a time next week for us to talk about it." So you know, what do you do? Delete, right? And you don't respond. You don't click on anything. Then a couple of weeks later, you get the, well, I didn't hear back from you. So I'm assuming you didn't get my first email. So here's the next email that I'm sending you about this. And I want to set up a time next week to talk about our solution. And you delete that one. Then about a week later, you get one. Well, I'm assuming you saw my last email, but didn't respond either because one, you're too busy. Two, you're not interested. Or three, you just haven't really gotten it yet. So let me just tell you a little more and want to set up a time, blah, blah, blah. This at, this goes on ad nauseum. I was on my ninth email from this company and this same guy. And the last one was, did I do something to make you angry? Because <laughs> you haven't responded to me yet. And it's like, it, it's like I've, it's like I'd left this guy on a date or something. It's, it's horrible. These, these, what these drip campaigns have become. Anyway, link to the thing. It's a wonderful post. Stop doing this. If you're in marketing automation and you're doing this kind of stuff and, and start understanding the right way to do, um, marketing, uh, you know, drip campaigns and drip, uh, con you know, content delivery. The second one that I'm going to, uh, link to here, and it's just another quick rave here. Um, although, you know, it's a little hard to get through. It's from McKinsey and McKinsey has written this post called, uh, the CEO's guide to customer experience. Um, and it goes through, you know, sort of a, in a very nice way, very understandable way with the exception of McKinsey has a way of writing that just is like, so you have to read it like four times to get, understand what they're trying to say. It's like, you know, but the outline of it is really good about a way to communicate the importance of the customer journey, 
and and really creating experiences that move people through that customer journey in a really interesting way. It's got some videos linked into it. There's a, In other words, there's a lot here to explore in this one post to talk about the importance of the customer journey, the importance of delivering value at each step, and understanding why that matters to you and your customer. So if you're looking for ways to ex- explain to the C-suite, this is just a really great piece, and I couldn't recommend it more. The only thing I'll also say here is their choice of clip art is like horrific. I mean, they they <laughs> just chose the worst clip art in the history. All of you know. Anyway, I won't go off on too much of a rant on that. But the the their the McKinsey not known for their 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 clip art choice. So with that notwithstanding, it's a great piece. And so those are my two raves this week. I think that your raves you have rants within your raves that are better. That, like you can't like when, it, when I heard you say you had two raves, I was thinking, no way, there's no way, and and of course I was right because you had rants in your raves. It's just I just love oh it the God, way that that's happens. Funny. That's, All right, that's funny. Yeah, I have. Uh, uh, I guess mine's a rave. I have some commentary, and since it's you know our show, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I got a little commentary here. Damn so, right, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, as you know, uh, Robert, not only is this the last week before Content Marketing World, uh, before we celebrate Labor Day, the U.S. celebrates Labor Day, but it's also, believe it or not, budget season. And like most organizations, uh, we at CMI, we look at every revenue line and every expense line from the previous year, and then look forward to what we want and, and need to accomplish for seventeen. Now, one of the line items under the most scrutiny as as it is probably every year robert is is our print and digital magazine chief content officer now currently mm-hmm. we publish cco magazine six times per year we started the magazine in 2011 as a quarterly and then increased the frequency to six times just a a few years ago now we talked to everyone on the team and everyone believed that six times was the correct frequency now we believe this is how often our audience wanted to receive the magazine and also what we could do best with the resources we had. Now, that said, CCO is more of a marketing effort than a direct revenue generator for us. If you look at CCO on paper, it's not one of our most successful revenue and profit engines until you really dig into the numbers. Now, there's a a punchline to this story, so I've got more on CCO, but I want to go to my, my rave portion. And I'm currently in the middle of reading a book called Shoe Dog, it's the story of Nike, uh, sort of a memoir from founder Phil Knight. And I'm halfway through hmm. the book. I've honestly fallen in love with it. The whole mythical entrepreneurial journey that he had is, I mean, I'm sure the ending is going to continue to be great, but I love it so far. I'm a little over halfway. It's an amazing story. Now, you may not know that Phil Knight was a very accomplished collegiate runner at Oregon. I and when, know that. When, you know, when talking about a lot of the book is they talks about because Prefontaine too was that's right when Nike really became Nike and you know he was an Oregon guy so it's just interesting to see I never realized I mean of course people from Oregon know this but man they, they have been great runners forever <laughs> out of that coming out of that college <laughs> so but it was interesting there was a whole portion of the book when he talked about his times and what those times meant to him and he says this and I'm going to quote him he says. Running track gives you fierce a fierce respect for numbers because you are what your numbers say you are. Nothing more, nothing less. If I posted a bad time in a race, there might have been many reasons. Injury, fatigue, broken heart, but no one cared. My numbers, in the end, were all that anyone would remember. And so I, I really took this to heart in how we look at 
basically CCO Magazine, but all our content marketing. So whether anyone listening to this does a blog or a podcast or a video, qualitatively, you might love them and feel they're working, but the only thing that ultimately matters down the road is going to be the numbers. Is it driving real sales? Is it saving real costs? Is it creating better customers in a way that the numbers will tell that story? Yeah. Of course, this is challenging. We know this, but if we don't find real value of the subscriber in numbers, in tangible numbers, we'll never get, it'll be just a pet project in your organization. So now I'll go back to telling CCO because we always want, we don't just want to be doing CCO magazine because we love it. We want to be, we want to make sure that it's great for the subscriber and also great for business. So the awesome team at CMI delivered the very thing I was looking for this week when it comes to CCO Magazine. We found that, and I love this, you're going to love this, Robert. We found that CCO subscribers have spent intangible numbers more than $5 million with CMI over the past five years. They've signed up to Content Marketing World. They've subscribed to paid training. They've gone to our master classes that, of course, you oversee, and they've attended our Enterprise Content Strategy Event Intelligent Content Conference. So sure... It's taken us a few years to get these numbers and a lot of hard work from a lot of people, but they are real and meaningful to the business. They also show that CCO is working for our audience and for our business. And and that's what really, in essence, that's what content marketing is all about, simultaneously creating value for the customers as well as the enterprise. So I just love that. Oh, my God. So so when anyways, when I read that makes my heart sing. (laughs) I mean, I love you don't understand how much I love that. I mean, but the key there is that understand going beyond what would normally be the immediate knee-jerk reaction to what we should be measuring with CCO. Yeah. Because, and that is such a problem right now because in most organizations, they're looking at content marketing through the myopic lens of how many leads does it generate. And when it doesn't generate as much as advertising or direct marketing, content marketing is seen as a failure or a struggle or it's too expensive or whatever. We don't look to the other alternate pieces of value that it could be driving for the organization, either opportunistically or that it actually is driving. And that's, I love that story. Well, you're, it's, I mean, it's not that much different than I mean we're a little bit different case. I'm gonna. I'm by the way. I'm totally stealing that story. Oh, you from can my absolutely. Talk. You can absolutely. I'm steal totally it. stealing that story from my talk well, at, at Content Marketing. Well, the, the and it's, I have the the exact numbers if you need to use them. By the way, but oh, I will. Well, be the interesting thing is if you looked at. I mean, we're if we're just gonna measure a media product, Chief Content Officer Magazine, most organizations would kill it if they just looked at revenue and, and profit from the magazine. Right. But if, you, yeah. if you're right, you have to take the next step in that journey. And now we we know it's taken. You may still decide that you you may still decide to kill the program, right? But it's not CCO. I'm not saying CCO. No, I'm I'm going back to my example, but understand it first. Don't just kill it because it didn't meet the, 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 the initial value that you thought you were going after. That's, I mean, goodness gracious, that's the theme of this show, but, but yeah, it's just so great. It's, Yes, 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 and yes. Well, you have my permission. You can. Oh, you can I'm, I was every... going to do it without. You've never asked me before. I mean, <laughs> come on, you just told me. 
right. All right. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. All right. So now it is time for the namesake of the show, of course, this old marketing. Um, and this one is an interesting one. It's a short one, um, but it's a really, I thought, just a really cool one. Um, do you shop at Bloomingdale's? Is Bloomingdale's a thing for you? Or I've or? been in a Bloomingdale's. That's okay. That's that's my answer. <laughs> fair enough. I, that's a that's a that's fair enough. Um, well, out here, um, and I shopped at Bloomingdale's for for many years. Um, the wife still does to some extent. And one of the things that I always loved, speaking of my sort of love of of all things sort of marketing, advertising, and stuff, is the fact that they have you know if you go to Bloomingdale's you and you get a bag, you get you know, and you always see them you know, especially in New York, you'll see them, and or here in L.A. or whatever, you'll see it's a little brown bag, and it says in text, you know, it doesn't have the big Bloomingdale's logo. It's just basically got the little brown bag. And you know immediately when you see little brown bag or medium brown bag or large brown bag that you've you've been shopping at at Bloomingdale's, which is just a, a wonderful thing. And so back, this now goes back almost 11 years now to just pre-2005. They had a program, and I, you know, I looked far and high for for when this actually finished because I'm pretty confident that they don't still do it. But Bloomingdale's uh, in the early 2000s uh, had a complete content marketing program uh, called the Little Brown Book, and the Little Brown Book was done again. It launched in 2005. They had a circulation of 175,000 for this, and it was directed toward all of those customers who spent a lot of money. So not all the customers got it. You only got it if you spent, I believe the number was between $3,500 and $5,000 per year oh, okay. in Bloomingdale's. So they're high-value accounts are who got this book. And the and a magazine, basically. And so the magazine itself was a lifestyle magazine. It had uh, articles about Broadway plays, the opera. They had private meet and greet things. You could get events. You could get you know other reward points and stuff and stuff like that. It was basically a magazine, lifestyle magazine um, for the Bloomingdale's shopper who spent a lot of money. They're high value um, customers, and they did that and sent that book. For at least four years, as I can see it, they had a converse. Uh, they had a, they had one also in the UK called B, uh, the letter B magazine that that um, did all of that. Now, basically, they would hire high level designers and artists to design the covers and made it very high, you know, sort of very high worth and high levels of design and, and basically made it um, for for all of their high worth customers. They had special editions like they had one that they would put out during uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Week where the little brown book would actually be the little pink book um, and all of that. And a very highly successful, at least from the case study that we'll link to in here in the uh, in, in the in the show notes, very successful with it. Not sure. I couldn't find why they decided to kill it, um, but I, as far as I can see, they're not doing it any longer. But I just thought a really wonderful example of this old marketing. Maybe they weren't looking at the right numbers. Yeah, it is. You there never it know. Is. Or you they maybe they maybe know. they were, and it just wasn't. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I have heard that before. I didn't know. I didn't know all the detail behind it, but I have heard that absolutely before. Yeah. So my friend, so you're home. You're, uh, you're home. You're home. Oh no, no you're leaving. I, you're going I've to got, San Francisco. I've got a management meeting in uh, in San Francisco for a couple days. So I'll be oh, a management with all the, meeting. I know. Ooh, I'll be with all the fine meeting. people over at UBM Tech, and then I'll be back. Uh, it's a shorter trip. But I think the meeting goes a little bit longer. But I, I I need to spend some time on content marketing world. We have a little event 
the next week. So I've heard pretty much heads down. And then once, uh, once Friday comes, I mean, that's all I'm doing. I mean, everything is content marketing. We're already, we're going to be downtown. We've got the whole team coming in and uh, of course I'll see you and all it's, of course it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be We're going to paint Cleveland orange for a whole week. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will. All right. Well then for me, I'm just sticking around here and I'm heads down working on content marketing world and I will see you in a week we'll we'll be recording of course uh, this old marketing for the week that we're out we'll be doing that a little early um we've got a very special episode uh, coming up um and so we hope you'll you'll hope we'll watch even if you're attending the show but for episode 146 that is it for joe polizzi this is robert rose we are signing off and if you like this episode number 146 won't you consider leaving us a review on the lovely iTunes or Stitcher and all that kind of stuff? And leave us a note on Twitter if you do, because we would love to thank you. Um, also consider subscribing, won't you? If you subscribe, please subscribe. Also let us know on the hashtag ThisOldMarketing, because that's where we'd love to hear from you. And we also want those story ideas, folks. Story ideas, story ideas, story ideas, examples of This Old Marketing, all that stuff you can tweet us up. Or if you've got an email burning and you want to just send it to us, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will, of course, be available in the show notes, available as we publish on Monday night. And, of course, will be in the show post in all of their full regalia at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, it's Content Marketing World. Remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.